Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, a general practitioner, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Sam McBride about safe prescribing of medicines that have the potential to cause substance use disorder. Sam is a consultant psychiatrist and addiction specialist at Capital Coast Health Addiction Services. He is the Director of Advanced Training for Addiction Psychiatry and a Faculty Representative in Addiction Psychiatry at the Royal Australasian College of Psychiatrists. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. So, Sam, let's start off by discussing the drugs and substances that have the potential for substance use disorder. Sam, what classes of drugs do we need to be aware of here? There's a number of drugs we we need to be aware of. Um, I might um, just interrupt you right at the outset, if that's okay, just to talk a little bit about terminology, because I think um, that that will help to be useful to frame the remainder of our talk. Over the last few years, um, the the terminology we use keeps on changing in in sometimes um, quite confusing ways and isn't always necessarily fit for purpose either. So historically, we have tended to talk about addiction. However, addiction tends to be at the far end of the continuum and is often thought as as pejorative, but is also often associated with more extreme behaviours such as uh, completely uncontrolled use or or injecting or significantly elevated tolerance. More recently, we had with a DSM-4, which talked about dependence um, as opposed to addiction. However, that was seen to be not a terribly useful uh, term as well because it confused uh, physiological dependence development of both tolerance and, and withdrawal, which can occur in the absence of a use disorder. So confuse that with addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, DSM-5 has, has come along with a substance use disorder, which, which I think in, in many respects is more useful because it, it recognises that use disorders can uh, occur more on a spectrum as opposed to a categorical um, definition. However, I think it's also important to note that, that when we're talking about medications being misused. People may misuse prescribed medication, however, not develop significant substance use disorders. I guess an example of that would be um, to think of a timely case would be in the not uh, too distant past, we we heard of All Black combining Zopiclone with energy drinks in order to get a high. Finally, um, the, the other big issue which we need to consider when we're prescribing is that the person we are prescribing to may not be misusing those medications, however, may be diverting selling them or giving them away to people who are even who are misusing them. Um, so, so in terms of the, the medications that we think about, particularly in addiction services, we've got the big three. Um, so we've got uh, opioids, um, uh, morphine, tramadol, oxycodone, um, coding. Uh, we've got benzodiazepine, um, such as diazepam or oxazepam. And I tend to include the Z-class drugs um, in this group. I think they're pharmacologically similar. And likewise, people develop problems in the same way they do with drugs such as diazepam. The other um, big class of drugs that uh, doctors prescribe, which can develop problems, um, particularly in psychiatry, are stimulants um, such as Ritalin or Dexamphetamine. So they would be the big three drugs that I would um, think of concentrating on today. Um, opioids, I guess, is particularly topical um, because of the morbidity associated with opioids and because of uh, the opioid epidemic we've seen overseas 
However, there are a range of other drugs that people don't necessarily think of as being abused, but are on some occasions and have a certain amount of street value. So that might include gabapentin or, or pregabalin, um, some of the atypical antipsychotics, including quetiapine or olanzapine, um, antihistamines such as cyclozine can also be abused. And what is it about these drugs, Sam, that make them so problematic? It's going to differ a little bit um, for, from drug to drug and class to class in terms of what people are using and why. However, I think the, uh, the first thing to, to note is that all the drugs we're talking about are psychoactive, um, so they act on the brain. Typically, they have um, effects that people seek out for pleasure. However, they can that uh, they can relieve not only physical pain but also emotional pain. So people use them to relieve anxiety or in the context of emotionally uh, distressing disorders such as post-traumatic stress disorder. They might be used to provide stimulation um, such, such as the stimulants. Um, sometimes it seems to be more that they're used for, for sedation. Um, Drugs such as cyclozine, the, the, the more obscure drugs, are, it can be used in a number of different ways. They might be used to uh, augment the effects of opioids, either prescribed or non-prescribed, or in high doses they can uh, produce hallucinations and other effects that people might want to experience. So Sam, we have multiple categories of drugs that can potentially cause problems. Perhaps we could talk briefly about opioids as an example of a and talk about strategies to minimise harm. So when would it be appropriate, say, to prescribe an opioid? And what should we think about before we prescribe this class of drugs? Sure. Um, yeah, that, that's a um, great question and a, and a really big question. I, I, I should you know, partly note, note my scope before I put um, uh, my colleagues offside in that I am a psychiatrist and an addiction psychiatrist. And so um, I, I guess uh, I'm largely exposed to when problems arise. And so... Um, Think that sorry. In terms of thinking about when we should prescribe these medications, um, just just being aware of uh, my practice. However, in thinking about prescribing these medications, um, I'd like to just quickly reference a paper which was written by Gawley in 2005 and published in Pain Medicine, and is as relevant uh, today as it was then. And what he talks about is universal precautions in, in regard to prescribing for pain, which I think can also be, um, they can be expanded to cover many of the other medications that, that we're typically um, concerned about. So he talked about 10 steps of universal precautions, um, t taking the principle of universal precautions from infection medicine. And so he talked about the importance of making a diagnosis with appropriate deferential. So we're ensuring that um, we're clear about what it is, what we're treated, and we're directed appropriate therapy to it. Um, he talked about the importance of, of recognising comorbid conditions um, alongside of that, um, such as substance use disorders or psychiatric illness, as potential risk factors. Um, his second step was looking at psychological assessment. So uh, taking a, a psychosocial history, looking at things like past personal and family use of substance use disorder to, to recognise what risk factors people might have. And including within that um, urine drug screen to uh, identify any uh, substances that people are using, however, haven't disclosed. 
um, he, he talked about um, the importance of informed consent. So, so when we're prescribing, particularly drugs, they uh, may develop use disorders, um, particularly things such as opioids or, or benzodiazepines, that people are aware of the, the, the benefits and the potentially limitations of the benefits for some of these medications and what risks might be included, um, such as the development of substance use disorder or the development of physical dependence um, and tolerance and so uh, being able to be explicit about those things right at the beginning. Um, he also talked about the, the importance of having a treatment agreement um, and so this can be done verbally. However, it's often also very useful to do it um, in writing as well so that everyone uh, has a copy of this and is all on the same page. So this, uh, the, the agreement would, would include the informed consent However, talk, also talk about um, boundaries around use, such as a, uh, it being a limited trial, um, people being aware that there would be limits of dose, um, clear expectations of what might happen with missing scripts or repeat requests for early scripts, um, the importance of, of ensuring that ongoing monitoring is included, including the importance of urine drug screens. Um, he, he also talked about ensuring that there was uh, adequate assessment of, of pain or, or whatever um, uh, whatever the outcomes you're looking at is going to be both before and after in treatment and not only looking at whether the pain is improved but, but trying to identify whether function is improved as well. Um, Ian talked about the importance of opioid therapy um, not excluding and, and ideally following other adjunctive medications. Now that might be um, behavioural interventions such as exercise or, or you know, physio, occupational therapy, etc. Um, as well as pharmacological adjunctive medications such as simple analgesics. Um, the importance of continuing to reassess uh, pain scores and, and the function and also regularly reassessing for what he talked about of the four A's of pain medicine. Uh, the presence of effective analgesia, uh, whether activity is improved, uh, whether there are any adverse effects that need to be taken account of, and being aware of aberrant behaviour. And so by aberrant behaviour, I again mean things like uh, picking up scripts early, uh, escalating doses, uh, reports of misusing medications in non-prescribed ways, so uh, such as things like uh, injecting medication would be the most extreme or snorting medication or using beyond uh, prescribed doses um, and continuing to review the pain diagnosis and comorbid conditions as going along and finally the importance of important documentation so, so I think um, I think it's a really important paper in terms of uh, the concept of the universal precautions for all medications of potential misuse that we prescribe. Mm, there's some excellent points there, Sam. Thank you. Um, so, Sam, are there particular populations that are more at risk than others and should be on our radar when we are prescribing these drugs? Sure. Um, again, uh, the question is complicated a little bit by, by the range of medications we, we are potentially talking about. Um, thinking about pain for a moment, um, I guess the population we are most concerned about is, is chronic non-malignant pain when uh, the pain is likely to be ongoing, difficult to treat, 
um, particularly with this class of medications. The person is going to be exposed to medications in an ongoing way, in a way which means that uh, independent of any patient factors um, outside the illness, they, they will be at risk. Other, other uh, patient uh, vulnerabilities include the presence of um, significant uh, psychological or mental illness can, can sometimes be a risk factor. Um, particularly uh, with opioid use disorder, the, the presence of trauma, uh, particularly sexual abuse, has often been found to be a risk factor for people developing problems with opioids, uh, which isn't, certainly isn't to say that these people should be excluded from having appropriate treatment or trials of appropriate therapy, but we, it, it is a vulnerability and a risk factor. The other significant uh, patient variable which is associated uh, with higher risks of developing a use disorder is the presence of either family um, or, or personal substance use disorder, not just in that class. So, so screening adequately for people uh, with um, alcohol use disorders um, or other drug use disorders, even historic, uh, should be taken account of. Um, unfortunately, often uh, social deprivation is also um, uh, can be a risk factor for the development of, of substance use disorders as well. And are there any ethnic groups that are more at risk? Certainly, um, Māori tend to be overrepresented in terms of developing um, uh, substance use disorders more generally. However, I'm not sure whether um, they, they are uh, strongly overrepresented in regards to development of substance use disorders secondary to prescribing, and, and it may be that uh, equity of access uh, is an issue in this instance. And Sam, at what point does safe use become misuse? What are the red flags and what should we be looking out out for when we're re-prescribing or prescribing? Yeah, th there's there's a range of um, red flags which, which uh, so they can range from, from the more obvious ones, which is uh, things such as someone who presents to the surgery requesting particular medications by name uh, or, or appearing to have greater knowledge than, than you might anticipate. Um, uh, it, we, we've noted the presence of a, of a previous substance use disorder um, is, is a potential risk factor. Uh, rapidly uh, escalating doses is, is a red flag and concern. Um, requests for early scripts or requests uh, or complaints of missing scripts so, or um, so medications which has been stolen or medications which people have have lost should be noted as a risk uh, as a red flag. Uh, concerns from others um, is a red flag. So often pharmacists are, are really important in this regard and, and can provide useful history um, in terms of someone who might be uh, asking for uh, other other substances or has been noted to be uh, sort of um, associating with people who are, who are known to have substance use disorders. Um, people presenting as intoxicated, um, uh, which can be, um, you know, often missed, but, but being aware of that as a potential risk factor um, are red flags. Um, I, I guess there are other red flags that as, as prescribers um, and, and stepping away from this just being a patient-driven uh, phenomena can also be red flags. And so uh, I think when someone uh, someone's dose is, is escalating, even in the absence of those clear red flags, um, that, that should be a, a pointer to us. And so in this regard, and, and thinking about opioids, um, it, it's been thought that perhaps there should be... Uh, 
dose limits or, or dose um, doses which give us cause for reconsideration and thought. And, and that has ranged, the literature unfortunately isn't always consistent on this, but that has ranged from uh, 50 milligrams of morphine equivalent in 24 hours through to 200 milligrams uh, morphine equivalent, with probably 100 milligrams being what most uh, people who write about this will settle upon. So, so uh, I think chronicity of prescribing can also um, be a, a red flag. So if someone is, is uh, requiring a medication for an ongoing period of time and longer than one might expect, even outside of um, clear problems, then this should also again be a bit of a red flag. And so I think it's important to note that particularly in, in um, groups of people where, um, sorry, in, in the context of, of prescribing, that, that not all use disorders um, look clear cut and, mm. and so and, and people may not always be deliberately misusing medications but maybe using medications in a way that they're not intended such, such as and this requires some talking to the patient about how they use it and the benefits that they receive from medications and so often what I'll find is that you know w when you talk to patients about their use they will describe not just getting relief from pain but getting relief from anxiety or, or using the medications in, in, in order to obtain sleep or to manage stress in a, in a way which um, uh, is not as intended. And Sam, we have a patient in front of us and we're starting to get some, you know, our heckles are up and we're starting to become concerned about them. At what point should we be referring our patients and who should we be referring them to? Sure. Um, this is again a, a difficult question because um, unfortunately there's not always equity of, of access to services across the country, you know, particularly the urban-rural split. And often there's, um, you know, unfortunately uh, uh, the, the, the crossover between what, what might be um, for, what, what should be the uh, role of addiction services versus what might be the role of uh, pain services is, is not as entirely clear-cut. However, I, th I think the first point is that ideally, um, ideally we, we uh, um, identifying problems early, even before we're prescribing, or at least anticipating problems, so that there's a bit of a contract and, and some guidelines and which are clear. Um, I think the first step when you're beginning to recognise a problem is to discuss it with the patient and, and, and talk about the concerns and then develop a plan um, to, to try and address it. And it's only when that plan has failed that, that I think a, a subsequent uh, referral is required or, or at least consultation is required with um, probably addiction services if it's a use disorder that we're thinking about. Thank you, Sam. So Sam, what practical interventions or steps can we make in our general practice? Sure. So I think when you've identified that, that someone uh, might have a concern with a substance use disorder, and so this might be because of things such as uh, escalating doses or early um, requests for scripts, then obviously the, the first step will be to um, talk about this with the patient and to um, start to make, make sense of it with them. One of the interventions that I, that I think is um, extremely useful, really simple, um, and makes a huge amount of difference is, is putting controls on um, scripts. And so essentially what, one of the cardinal features of people who have developed a substance use disorder is development of discontrol, of, of difficulty um, containing the use 
of the medication. And so having external controls in place can be um, a, a really useful thing to do. And so uh, in, in this regard, what I'm thinking about is, is more regular pickups of medications depending on how significant you think that discontrol is. And so we will often, um, when, when I have identified um, someone developing a substance use disorder, then typically I would go for, um, you know, as many controls in place as a person can tolerate um, whilst being mindful of, of things such as work and mobility, etc. So having the person go to the, uh, pick up their medications three times a week or twice a week is, is a way of limiting their access to medication. This means that they uh, have less on hand, are less likely to overuse and go into withdrawal or develop problems secondary to intoxication. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's probably one of the most effective interventions that we can do. And Sam, you mentioned urine drug screens a little earlier on. I wonder if you could discuss those and how they're used and what for. Yeah, so, so again, urine drug screens are um, an extraordinarily um, effective tool that, that we have at our disposal. I think one of the problems with urine drug screens is that people are often uh, slightly embarrassed to, to um, request it because it, it uh, suggests that we, we don't trust our, our, our patients. But um, so I think w the important way to get over it, of that is to ensure that we are doing it uh, for more people and asking them routinely so that people become more comfortable with doing it. Um, the importance of, of urine drug screen is, is that it establishes um, a couple of things. One is, is the person using other medications which uh, may be of concern or, or add to the picture? And so someone for whom you're prescribing um, an opiate um, and having a urine drug screen which uh, indicates that they are taking um, other opiates suggests the presence of a, of a use disorder. Or if they are taking uh, other uh, non-prescribed drugs, um, which is also going to be relevant, such as cannabis or um, benzodiazepines or, or, or other substances. Um, however, when using uh, urine drug screens, it's really important to make sure that people can interpret them appropriately. And so in this regard, it's, it's important to be know a little bit about what your laboratory service offers. So Sam, thank you. Some valuable information and practice tips there for us. I just wonder to wrap up the podcast, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners today? Yeah, I guess in terms of, of take-home messages, one is that um, in, in, the, in the New Zealand context, but uh, also internationally, um, the risks um, from... Uh, drug use increasingly relates to non -pres oh, sorry, prescribed medications which are subsequently used in uh, non-intended ways. So New Zealand has always been a little bit ahead of the game in that much of our um, illicit drug use actually stems from prescribed medications. In, in this regard, um, opioids, benzodiazepines and stimulants um, a lot of these are diverted into the black market and cause significant morbidity and, and harm. Um, finally, um, you know, I think it's really important to note that uh, medications which people misuse uh, are common, and however, also really uh, important tools that we use every day. So I'm not saying uh, don't prescribe these medications, but I am saying 
be aware of the potential for harm not only to the patient in front of you but to the community when we are prescribing these medications. And so uh, think about basic principles such as ensuring that all other strategies have been applied before going to these medications, uh, you using lowest uh, tolerable doses, uh, trying to set dose limits, and the importance of universal prescribing um, to ensure that the prescribing is safe. Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPG points for listening to this podcast, please fill in a reflection of learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.